Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode one of the Gotta Be Gaming podcast, where we invite you to join us as we discuss games of the past, present, and future, because no matter when it was made, we gotta be gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me embarking on this exciting new journey into video game conversations is my good friend, Steven. Hey, Aaron. How's it going tonight? It is awesome, man, because we are here together and we are kicking this thing off. We have finally thrown caution to the wind. We have no idea what's going to happen. And the good thing is we have no expectations. (laughs) So who cares? Because we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about these games that we both enjoy. And I think we're going to get something out of it. And if other people listening enjoy this as well, then, hey, we have something to be proud of. And if not, well, we still had fun. And that's all that matters. If you haven't done so already, listeners, we highly suggest that you check out the short-ish previously released introduction episode. We tell you a little bit about ourselves. We tell you a little bit about our gaming history. And we lay out the format of the show there. So hopefully you've already heard that and you're rip-roaring and ready to go with us. And I guess with that, we're just going to get into the games, Stephen. Well, first up is the backlog. And this is the section where we talk about a game that we are playing that is one plus years old. And that game this week is Ori and the Blind Forest, a platform adventure Metroidvania style video game that was developed by Moon Studios and published by Microsoft Studios. It was released on the Xbox and for Windows back in March 2015. Fun fact. I played this game at PAX, I remember it vividly, and going, wow, that thing is gorgeous um, at PAX West here in Seattle. And then it eventually came out on Nintendo Switch last year, September 2019. So I'm going to let you start us off, man, because this game sort of came about, or us playing it, me playing it, was a direct result of you playing it. And I wanted to find out, like, how did you come to playing Ori in the Blind Forest recently, and we'll go from there. Uh, I was kind of curious why you ended up deciding to play it, too. But uh, when I fired it up just because Ori Will and the Wisps comes out this week, this month, um, and so I was like, I want to replay that first game. Just to, I remember really enjoying it when I played it. I played probably close to back in 2015. Played the original one. This replay, this most recent playthrough was the Definitive Edition. And I played it on Game Pass on the Xbox. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, Metroidvanias are the types of games that I really enjoy. I like that platforming aspect, the learning new skills, learning new abilities to progress further in the map. And so, that's why I wanted to give this game another try was the sequel, and I knew it was a game I wanted to play before the sequel came out. And, uh, yeah, so what made you want to give it a try? Well, I actually saw a comment that you made on a post on a Facebook group that we're both a part of, and somebody had posted saying that they were playing Ori in the Blind Forest in anticipation of its upcoming sequel, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you had made a comment on this post saying that you were also going through it again now for the second time, and it got me thinking about it. I was like, wow, you know, okay, so when this game came out back in the day... I played it on Xbox for a little bit. I had, I don't know, two, three, four hours total in two different playthroughs that I had. Not two different playthroughs, but two different save files. I'm not sure why I had two, but I did. And I hadn't gotten very far. But I remembered really enjoying it. And I was thinking to myself, you know, one of the things that I enjoy most about gaming these days, being in my early 40s and working a job with a lot of hours and just having generally less time to play games, I like completing them. And so when I can find a game that is in that 10-hour range, let me tell you guys, I spam that website, How Long to Beat. It is a favorite for me because I will quickly go there and be like, hey, how long should I anticipate? And then what I do is I take the average completion time and then I add like three or four hours because I'm generally a slower gamer than everybody else. And then I get the real time for me. But Ori was in that like 15 hour or less time. And so I was like, man, this is doable. I I can do this. I can feel good about completing a game and it looks amazing. So I'm going to try it out. And I'm so glad I did because I had a wonderful experience. I think I kind of lapped you actually and ended up finishing it before you. I played it so much. 
Yeah, I think we ended up finishing, I think, the same day, but I think you beat oh. me probably by, like, four or five hours. Nice. I think you, and I think I had a weak head start on you. You did. Man, that's one thing about me. I'm a very obsessive personality, and when I get into something, I go hard. It's one of the reasons that I am so nervous about picking up Destiny 2 again. I fired it up today for the first time in, like, six months. And, I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds of hours in Destiny 2 and hundreds and hundreds more in Destiny 1. But the problem is that I can easily do nothing but play Destiny 2 when that game is in my life. And so I have to be very careful. I'm hoping the podcast will help me keep that balance. But back to Ori, what is it about Ori that you love? Like, this is a game that we both highly enjoyed. What do you like about it the most? I think, for starters, it's it's one of those rare kind of Metroidvania games that has a pretty good story. Like, that beginning, it's got this... Very Pixar-esque, emotional gut punch starts right from the get-go. It kind of sucks you in, and you kind of want to explore this world more. And then the graphics are gorgeous. The um, the, each level that you're in is just feels unique and original. It's got it adds new combat styles to each one, new gameplay mechanics. Those are kind of things like I look for and I get attracted to. And it's one of those games where there's no places really to stop. It's one of those games where it's like Oh, well, just one more area I'm going to go explore. And that's a big problem. for Those are big addiction points for me is because if, if I don't know when to stop, I just keep going and going. And that's what kind of what I like with this game. And it's what kind of kept me driving to want to finish this game. And That's a good point yeah. because it, it really does not have distinct levels like some Metroidvania games do where it's like, okay, you get to this area, you, and I'm, I'm a methodical gamer. Okay. So I'm like the kind of guy who like, I walk into a room and I'm like pieing the corner and in an RPG, I walk in and I go around in a corner and I check every little piece of that room to find any collectibles that I can and any hidden places. And then I go do every single side quest before I progress the main quest. I'm that kind of like weird completionist. So in every zone, I'm trying to do that, but Ori doesn't allow you to do that. And it's a Metroidvania. So part of it is by design there. But specifically, it like it just it's constantly kind of throwing you back and forth from area to area, and the way that you unlock skills in this game, it requires you to go back to areas multiple times to get new items and to be able to increase your health or increase your energy pool, which you're going to need later in the game as you continue to progress. And it's really exciting, I think. That's probably one of my favorite things about Metroidvania games is to see something like in Ori, you will see a door and you can't get through it until you have X number of energy to spend to open that door. And so, you know, that there's a lot of times you'll know exactly what is on the other side of that door, which makes it super enticing. And then you're like searching this map that doesn't really give you any clues of where to go to get what. That's one thing about this game. Like it does not really give you. Hardly any hints. It's just you get one story main hint about what area to go to to complete the main kind of progression point. But other than that, it's just you just got to go explore and have fun and see what happens and kind of take it as it comes unless you eventually give in and look things up. But I like that about it because it let me feel really successful and accomplished when I was able to get an ability, come back and then finally get that upgrade that I've looked at and kind of wanted for so long. Yeah, and that's one of the things you talked about with not really knowing where to go. Like, I think I would have beat you, would have beat the game for you if there wasn't one point in the game where I was just completely lost. Like, I didn't know where to go. I didn't even look at the map, which I should have, because that would have been a lot more of a hint of the big flashy orb to go to. But yeah, you can just explore certain areas if you kind of get lost in the game and kind of helps you level up and get more of those orbs that you need so you can save and get through those gates. So it's kind of a game where yeah, you, they try to force you to go certain ways, but yeah, you can always just keep going somewhere and explore new areas and even explore old areas that you'd already previously been to. And and the areas in this game are fairly routine for any gamer who's convenient or used to playing Metroidvania style games. You know, you have an area that sort of is your air based level. You have some water based levels. You have some fire based levels. But there's a really strong verticality to this game that I found to be kind of unique. Even the first major kind of climactic section, right, is in this big, big tree. 
And there's, I think, three total of these. They're called escape sequences. And essentially what it has you doing is once you've gotten several different abilities in an area and you've, you know, started to progress through the story in the game, you have to put those abilities to the test and you have to kind of learn to master them. And you do that by going through this escape sequence where the game is pushing you. The screen is kind of trying to catch up with you and then you have to do something and execute quickly and perfectly in order to actually escape. And I would tell you, man, like this is such a unique way to do this because the game itself is very chill. The music is incredible. It goes with the aesthetic of the game. It looks and sounds almost like a Miyazaki movie in so many ways, um, like a beautiful anime. But then you get to these escape sequences and it's chaos. It is absolutely insane. And like you're no, you no longer can just kind of glide across a level and chill. You've got to hit those marks perfectly. And I found it to be quite difficult myself. Like I struggled with these, but because I struggled with them, they were never, they were balanced well because once I got high enough that I learned the route, you know, like each time I would get a little further and I'd be like, okay, so I need to hit that point right there and I need to angle myself to go this direction next. And once I learned and taught myself the particular angles and kind of path that I needed to hit to succeed, it was just a matter of execution at that point. And I, again, I got to feel so successful when I got to the top of this tree in this first big escape sequence and, and feel very, very proud of myself. And I like that about the game. I think that the controls are super tight in this game. I almost would argue they're potentially the, the tightest in a platformer that I may have ever experienced. I feel completely in control of Ori at all times. Like he is, he, is it he or is he a she? I don't even know. Does Ori have a gender? Have no idea. Uh... <laughs> Ori is genderless. I don't know what Ori is. Ori is a they. So, Whatever they um, are, but I just feel like I always am able to push them in the direction that I want them to go at the right sensitivity level. It's just, it's perfect. It feels wonderful in my hand. Um, I really enjoyed that about it. Yeah, that's the controls always felt tight. They felt easy to maneuver around. Um, and these escape sequences, what I think was best about them was is that you never felt like the game was out to get you with them. You always knew it was achievable. You knew kind of when you messed up, it really wasn't the game's fault. It was more of, oh, I slipped with the controls maybe just a little bit. I didn't time it right. Like It, it always felt like it was my fault and that I knew it was like, oh, I can improve. And so just that ability to know that, oh, this isn't – I can beat this. It's just a matter of I just have to get it in sync, get it going. You knew when you were going to fail so you could just – immediately die and get back into it that was another great thing about the game is, is there's no real load times it's when you die you're back in the game you're ready to play which that helps that feeling of addiction of one more hit just keep going just keep going i can do this and it's uh, you can't stop playing what did you think about the save system in this game because it's very unique it's it gives you the ability to save basically anywhere you're essentially using a portion of your energy pool, which you also are, you also can use for other things, but you can use it to create a save point anywhere you are in the world. Did, was that something that you liked or would you prefer a typical like checkpoint system? I was actually thinking about that today and trying to decide because I mean, I've been playing a lot of Metroidvanias a lot lately and they always seem to have like a room or a certain area where you save and like, you just keep going and going. You're kind of always looking for the save room. And with Ori, yeah, you can just save anywhere you want. So I would keep going and I keep going. And I actually forgot to save a couple of times. I was like, I just kept going and I died. And I was like, oh, I could have saved right there. I had plenty of orbs. I could have done it. Now I got to go back and go through this whole long section again. So it was kind of, I'm kind of torn on whether I liked it or not. I kind of like the structure of there's a room. But then I don't like ever having to explore and look for the room. So it was kind of, I was kind of torn of not really sure of how I felt about it. Yeah, I can see how that's probably the case amongst gamers all over. There's probably people are very split because of that. And, you know, I personally loved it. 
as someone who does die frequently in video games, I'm not even ashamed of it anymore because it's just what happens. I'll talk about this probably on the podcast so many times, but having two teenage gamers in my life has been eye-opening and it's painful because once upon a time, I was the man and I could beat my kids at anything. But now I live in a world where I have to hand my daughter my controller to finish off a boss in Mario Tennis because I can't beat it. You know, like that's my life and it is embarrassing sometimes, but I'm trying to accept it. I'm trying to live with it. I subscribe to the wonderful phrase uh, by Brittany Baumbacher of uh, what good, what's good games podcast, the baby ass baby mode. That is my thing now. I don't care. I'm going to play it on the fun set, fun setting, but I died a lot. And so I like this method of being able to set my save point at any moment. Now I agree with you. I did run into a couple points where my brain told me that I was going to get a checkpoint room at some point because that's what every game does. And I forgot I'd gone on so long without doing it. And then I was upset because I had to go so far back, but more often than not, it saved me because when I was able to get to a section that was particularly difficult, I would be able to save right before it, which would say, which would cut off that transition time, you know, that you have to go through in games where it's like, you've got to traverse the world to get back to that point to try the difficult section. It was like, man, I'm right here. I'm set. Now I'm going to try it again. Now I'm going to try it again. And eventually I would get it. From what I understand, the sequel has done away with that for whatever reason. There's many reasons. I'm sure we'll talk about it once we cover that one. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how this game plays with the traditional checkpoint world system, because that's what it's going to go to. So apparently the designers didn't think it was super necessary to stick with, but I personally liked it, and I think I will miss it. What about the specific move sets of Ori? So Ori can do a whole bunch of different cool things, and did you have like a favorite move or skill? I actually, I don't know if I did, like, I know there was a bunch of skills, like with a ground pound, which, looking at achievements, I think you used quite a bit, but I never used that thing. Like, I don't know, I like, it's just, it, it was never a move that, like, the controls never seemed to naturally flow with my combat style with that game, I guess. The, uh, there's a move where you can kind of grab a villain or their projectiles and throw them back at them or throw them in different directions. That I still rarely ever used. Mainly it was just button mashing and using the fire attack, like, I don't know, like, uh, the game, I don't know if it would have gone smoother maybe if I tried different techniques, but yeah, I only really ever used the one. Okay, well, I will say part of that is because I'm the kind of guy who will go through and I wouldn't say farm per se in this particular game, but I kind of farmed a little bit to the point where I like, I like to get my abilities unlocked and so that I can have a more fun and gameplay experience, right? I don't want to wait until the end of a game to unlock an ability and then only get to use it for the last hour of a video game. Like I want to enjoy it. So I unlocked ground pound pretty early. That's why I was using the heck out of it. I found out it was pretty darn strong to be honest. Um, and once you upgraded it, it was really just absolutely powerful. And so that's why I used it quite a bit. My favorite though, is that unique mechanic of throwing things this thing is so much fun to use, in my opinion. It is hard to master, but it is one of the most unique kind of platforming systems I've ever played with. It's similar to what you do in Celeste, for those of you who have played that game, the way that Celeste bounces in the air and kind of angular shoots herself in certain directions, but not totally. So what Ori can do is jump into the air and... At any point, if there is a projectile or an enemy, you hit the Y button, and then you quickly can point an arrow that pops up on your screen. And Ori will, has a couple of options. One is you can launch Ori in the direction of the arrow, like a slingshot, and, and it really helps you with your movement, right? Or you can sort of shoot the arrow backwards, turn it the opposite directions, and you can shoot projectiles back at enemies. That's what Steven's talking about. And actually, you can kill them with their own bullets and simultaneously shoot yourself in the opposite direction. Um, you can use their projectiles to 
traverse a level like to there may be a wide open canyon and you need to go up that canyon. And so you're just kind of zipping yourself up in the air, trying to catch different projectiles so you can keep getting higher and higher and higher. I had so much fun with this man. And some of those escape levels where you had to master zipping around them and then mixing in your floating ability where you like, you pull out almost like a pillowcase and you kind of, hover and let the air lift you up and you had to mix all of these things. I freaking loved it. And I just, it was some of seriously the best platforming I've ever played. Yeah, that definitely added a very big uniqueness to a lot of the levels. And for me, a lot of frustration. Yeah. I think there was one level where there was things shooting out at you that you had to get past while you were floating in the air. Then you'd have to stop floating and then you have to, like these icicles would fall and you could project past those. Like you just have to be on your toes for what's coming. Cause yeah, you have to use combinations of floating, flinging yourself and all sorts of different things, which makes the game pretty unique and frustrating yet also really fun to play. The other thing I really liked about it is the combat because you have this energy thing. I don't know. What do we call it? But like, it's a different kind of weapon than you typically, it's almost, it almost kind of works almost like a whip but it can go so far across the screen. It was just so unique. It wasn't a sword or a melee weapon. It was this magical piece of like energy that shoots out of your, your character. And it has a pretty long reach as well. And it not only is effective, but it looks really cool shooting across the screen in the art style. And it sounds awesome as well. I really, I was a big fan of that. Actually, for some reason, I do not know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know if was it a skill I didn't unlock. No, no, the the combat, the combat technique, like what you're using to attack. You're. I was just flinging light. Yeah, that's what I'm things. talking about. The light oh, okay. beams. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking about the light beams or whatever. I don't know what we call it, the energy or yeah. light, but whatever. The little. It is. The Navi character from. Yes. Like Zelda. That's exactly what it's reminiscent of. You're so right. Yeah. So I I don't know. I really like that mechanic as well, but. You know, overall, I just had a blast with this, and I was so glad that you picked it up and kind of inadvertently got me to play it, because now I'm super hyped for the sequel. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the sequel, just because hearing that it's supposed to be longer, more world, more combat, like, it's just the type of game I kind of want right now. The story of Ori is, I would say, it's supposed to be pretty emotionally impactful, it feels like it's built that way. Unfortunately, to be honest with you, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. I was all about that movement and progression. And I think that there's not a lot of story. And I find that to be a positive in this game because it kept you platforming. It kept you moving and doing things. And there's just one or two sections where it stops and it goes through some long cutscene stuff. But because of that, it just never really was on my mind much. I was more worried about the skills that I was using and executing them from a technical standpoint than I was like why I was actually a character in this world. Yeah, I could definitely probably see that. That's what's kind of interesting about this sequel that's coming out is where are they going to take it now? But um, yeah, that beginning, just seeing what happened with this character that kind of adopts Ori and how that character grows with Ori and how they collect food together and just kind of setting it up for the tree that ends up, I guess, turning against them. And then this giant owl that Sing was absolutely terrifying when it was trying to chase you around different levels. And for some reason, I don't know if you got the sense with this game, but did it make you want to watch The Secret of Nim after watching this, after playing this game? That's a great comparison. Honestly, I haven't seen that in decades, but I grew up with it. And you're, you're right. It has the same color palette similarity. A lot of the levels are thorn. They have thorns and stuff that kind of mm-hmm. which reminds you, with, especially that owl. Like, oh yeah, the owl definitely feels yeah. like the same villain. Yeah. yeah, I still haven't gone back and watched it because I too haven't watched that movie in a long time. Well, now I'll have to do that. Thanks. Thanks for putting something else on my plate to do. I appreciate that. That's what I'm here for. That's what I do best with you. <laughs> Great, man. Well, um, I guess that will round out our thoughts on Ori and the Blind Forest. It is still on Game Pass, like Stephen mentioned. It's also available on Switch, and in, from everything I've heard, it runs incredibly well there. But if you have Game Pass, it's free, so why not play it in 4K? 
and with HDR like we did because it's gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. One of the most beautiful games you will ever lay your eyes on and definitely worthy of playing if you haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, next up, we have our what we're playing section, and this is where we talk about a game that we have been playing that is in the current to 12 month time range. We have a couple different games to talk about here, so maybe we'll not spend quite as much time on each of them, but I'm going to start because you have played mine and I have not played yours. <laughs> and so we'll start with the one that we both have some knowledge on. Fire Emblem Three Houses, Stephen. So I wanted to make sure we talked about this now because I probably won't go back and replay it because it's so flippin' long and I don't want to have to wait like until it passes the year mark and fits into the backlog section. But this is a game that had some DLC that dropped in February called The Cindered Shadows. It is a story DLC. And so I'm taking advantage of having recently played that and gone back into my Fire Emblem Three Houses save experience in order to just be reinvigorated with this world and talk about it. So for those that are not fully aware, Fire Emblem is a long running series of tactical role playing games that were developed by Intelligent Systems and Koei Tecmo, and this one is for the Nintendo Switch, and it came out in July of 2019. Now, me personally, I'm a huge fan of tactical RPGs. Disgaea is one of my favorite series of all time. Disgaea 1 is probably in my top 10, maybe top 5 games of all time. Final Fantasy Tactics is right there with them as well. When you give me a really good fantasy world tactical RPG... I'm going to eat it up. But that being said, I didn't have much of a history with Fire Emblem. And there's a big reason why. And that reason is called Permadeath. <laughs> so Fire Emblem is famous because it is a series that is not super magic heavy. It definitely leans into the medieval fantasy world of swords and bows and staffs and spears and occasional magic users. But it was well known for having this thing called permadeath where when you lose a character, they are gone forever. And it doesn't matter if you lose them early on or you lose them on a boss fight, they're not coming back. And so you have to have someone else fill in your team. And for me, that was a big struggle. I was not a big fan of that. And luckily, this new game, Fire Emblem Three Houses, has a way around that. And it's, it's called this divine pulse mechanic where... If one of your characters dies, then you are able to essentially rewind the turn that you just took and try it again. And you do have a limited number of them. And I think it's it's a brilliant balance between letting you feel like every death matters, but also not quite because you do have like that save in your pocket, right? That you can whip out and, and give yourself one more chance if you made a bad call. Um, and I really like that. And so I was really reluctant to play this game going into it, though, before I understood how that mechanic was going to work out. And this is another one that you were playing and you were telling me about. And one of my friends, a uh, film critic here in Seattle named Jeremy Johns, every movie screening I would go to, he's like sitting there playing it on his Switch before the movie would start. And he's like, Aaron, you got to play this game. Aaron, come on. You got to play this game. Aaron, come on. Like he's telling me about his house that he chose and i'm just like this game looks amazing <laughs> and i love rpgs what is wrong with me but it was one of those hundred hour games that i was nervous about and i was just really reluctant but finally man i took the plunge last summer and i can proudly say that between my daughter and i we are now well over 170 hours into this game into like multiple playthroughs i have completed it once all the way through she is about halfway through hers which we've done mostly together. And then I'm about halfway through a second playthrough myself. So I guess, how did you, did you, you played it? Did you beat it? So I beat it with the blue lion. So that was the question I was going to ask is what was your house and what was your daughter's house? What are you guys playing as? So we both played as the golden deer, primarily because I played as the golden deer and she watched me and she fell in love with the students in the golden deer house as well. Uh, the game structure, for those of you who may not know, is that you play this character who essentially becomes a teacher or a professor at a monastery, and you end up 
picking one of three houses, the one that Stephen played, the Blue Lions, the one I played, the Golden Deer, or the Red something? Black Eagles. Black Eagles. They, they wear red. They <laughs> yeah, wear they red. So it's confusing. Or the Black Eagles, yeah. And each house is sort of built in a way that it has a strength. So Fire Emblem itself, the combat, when you get out on that tactical grid-based battlefield, everything is a rock, paper, scissors type of mechanics. Uh, you know, so sword beats whatever and bow beats whatever. I don't know the exact answer to those, that triad, to be honest. And that's something that they kind of actually downplayed a lot in this most recent game where, <clears throat> yeah, it used to be, was it arrow, arrow, sword, and axe? Mm-hmm. I think and spear so might have been in there. Yeah, I think it was spear instead of arrow. So it'd be spear gets the... I don't remember. I could actually look this up. But, yeah, um, I don't know if it matters, but yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely they kind of got rid of it with this game. Yeah, so it wasn't as big of an emphasis, but like I'm playing the mobile. There's one on the mobile called Fire Emblem Heroes, and that's kind of a bigger mechanic for that game is the sword, rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, and then this one. So each house has their specialty. So the Blue Lions is more built towards a physical melee type of team. Um, they're, each house is going to have magic users. They're going to have uh, units that are predisposed and built to be stronger by flying or by horseback. But the blue lines are strategically more apt to being kind of melee fighters overall. Uh, the Black Lion, no, why am I saying, Black Eagles, this is terrible, Black, no, yes, Black Eagles. The Black Eagles are more of your magic kind of casting house, they have a lot of stronger magic users, and then the Golden Deer has sort of the most, I guess probably the most range overall with bows and magic, and they're just a smorgasbord of different characters, they're the rejects of the monastery, they're kind of the kids that are not from prestigious houses like the other two are. They don't have a lot of history in the world, um, a lot of privilege and and such. And so I just kind of resonated with them. And I got to tell you, man, the story in this game is so good and it's so long. I, I, well, I mean, let me back that up. The story itself is a typical JRPG story. It is weird and it is hard to follow and it is... It just, I didn't care about it, to be honest. But what I care, not the, like, big point of the story. Um, however, the relationships between the characters, the voice acting is superb. And as the characters are not in combat, they are going through a month at a time where you get to spend all this time with them, right? And so you run around the monastery and you are just essentially talking to characters and they're talking to each other and their stories are kind of evolving in real time as they get to know each other and you're revealing pieces of their histories. To me, that was the part that drew me in and really got me connected to the characters in this game. Yeah, for me, I I mean, I got sucked into the story pretty early on. And one of the things that I thought was the most enjoyable of the story was because there's three houses and because, you know, you have friends playing it, like I had a coworker who he played as the Black Eagles, and I would he beat the game before I did, and I would talk to him about it, and I'd be like, "Did you know about this character's relationship with this character?" And they're like, "No, that's not brought up at all." And I'm like, "But that's a big part to like your house, like it should be brought up." And it was like, "Yeah, no, it just wasn't brought up." And I was like, "That's just insane, like how, just kind of the way they kind of tried to interconnect these these houses together, and like they wouldn't always give you all the details with each house that you played as, so." To get the full story, I think you have to play like five times because there's like a branch off for, I think, the Black Eagles. So mm -hmm. you can kind of determine what happens there. So, yeah, it's just kind of interesting that they have it wrapped up in a way where it's like you have to play it multiple times to actually fully understand this world that you're playing in. Did you like spending the time in the monastery? Because there's, I mean, probably is equal amount of time that you spend getting your kids ready learning about them you know doing a couple of like preparatory battles to get your levels up and then you essentially are training them to increase their skills before you take on one major 
kind of really tough mission at the end of each month. That's that's sort of the format of the game. Um, Did you like the flow of it? I liked it at the beginning before there's a big time jump in this game. Um, Yeah, I like the beginning part because you're trying to recruit for your house. So that's one component where you can when you're talking to students, you can actually recruit those from other houses into your into your school. And so, like, that gives you more fighters later on. So if you are playing with permadeath, you know, you could maybe lose a couple if you wanted to. But, uh, yeah, I like if, that. If part you of the wanted to. Who wants yeah. to? Maybe if you accidentally, miserably lost somewhat. There's some of the characters that could be pretty annoying, I think, well, that you I wouldn't want to do. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I like that aspect of trying to, you know, persuade them to come to my school. And they don't have the marriage system that previous uh games have had so they don't have kind of like you could flirt with characters but they have this thing called like you go to tea with them which is kind of interesting my daughter's favorite part just as a side note she would (laughs) every time we would go to tea she'd be yelling at me like dad go to tea go to tea and then she would take the controller and she would do tea time but yeah carry on flirting she like the face touching part at the end of tea time which when you're successful she did because she, because it meant she won. She likes That's to true. win. She's a, she's that kind of person. But yes, yeah. you're right. There's a little bit of a mechanic, but not full on marriage. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, towards the end of the game, it just got to the point where I just wanted to finish it. And so I would, when I was in this, when I was at the monastery, I kind of just quickly go through things. I wouldn't talk to everybody. I'd just kind of speed it along or even skip it towards the end just because I wanted to wrap it up. Cause yeah, it's a hundred hour plus game. Like towards the end, it's like, I think my characters are kind of leveled up enough. I I can breeze right mm. through this with these games. So it did get kind of tedious towards the end. I, I can see how people would think that for sure. And I, you know, I've thought that about so many different games. For me, Fire Emblem is not that game. I cherished every single second of this, and I was so fully immersed in it. It is the kind of game that I loved enough to you know be in that you know, top favorite games category for me. It's one that will forever be memorable. Uh, and, and I think part of that is also just going through it with my daughter and getting to have like that parental child experience together where we are both loving something so much. But I'm so glad I played it. I think it's amazing. The battle system is phenomenal. It's some of the best grade, grid-based combat I've ever had. I just enjoy it so much. It looks gorgeous. The effects are great. It's just a top-notch game. I mean, it is absolutely one of the best package deals that came out last year as far as gaming goes. And I love the direction they've taken the series. And now I will probably play every Fire Emblem game from here to eternity. And including the DLC, right? Which is where I started this whole conversation with because they had like a plan to put out four DLC waves where you got the season pass. This is like seems to be the new thing in gaming these days. Um, and the first few were just kind of additional quests and some costumes and a couple of new characters and outfits. They weren't really game changing stuff. And I didn't even log in much and check them out. My daughter loved them because one of them let you put glasses on your character and she wears glasses. And so she was super pumped to have her character represented by wearing glasses. But this newest one is called Cindered Shadows. This is the one that came out in February. And this added a new house, the Ashen Wolves. And they are a gray house and they were underneath the monastery lurking. And there's this big mystery about why they're there and how they, how they got there and what their purpose is. And it was interesting to say the least to go through the story. You know, it was okay here and there, like take it or leave it. As far as I'm concerned, it was good. It fit. It made sense, but it wasn't like mind blowing or anything story wise. What stood out the most though, about this new DLC They gave us four new classes of characters to play with, and that's awesome. There's a trickster, a war monk slash cleric, uh, a Valkyrie, and a dark flyer. And what stood out about the four new classes in this DLC is that they're very versatile. They seemingly could do a couple of different things really well. You could, you could kind of tweak them to fit into your team in a way that some of the other classes just really don't allow you to do. Um, which I like because you want to go in after you have played this DLC, you can load up your old save and you can go recruit them and you can actually play the game with some of these kids in your house, which would be really fun um, if I was going to go back through it again. So if I ever finish that second playthrough, I'll probably grab some of these new characters or use some of these new classes. They are a ton of fun to play with. I really loved them. 
But the problem was that the combat in the DLC was like ratcheted ratched up to 11. I mean, it was so flipping hard, man. Uh, it was as hard as the final couple of battles in the main game, but every single one was like that. They were really, really challenging. And they were, were not, the, some fights that you would do two or three fights in a row before the game would allow you to go back to your hub city and replenish your weapons by repairing them or to get more potions and things like that. So management of your stuff became really important. Whereas in most of the game, you know, that's not a, that's not a thing when you're in a battle, it's a one shot battle and you know, you can generally get through it and then you go and you heal up and you start again. But this one didn't let you do that. And I really found myself challenged in a big way. Um, I got through it <laughs> and I was proud to get through it, but I don't think it's something I would have wanted too much more of. It's pretty short. It's like a six to eight hour long DLC, but I liked that. You know, it was a good amount of gameplay. Let me get back into the Fire Emblem Three Houses world and fall in love with it again. And then I get to just move on. So I highly recommend it. If you haven't played the DLC yet, by all means, check it out because these new classes are going to blow your mind. They're so much fun. So how does this the DLC work? So you can play it standalone from your own save file, but where does your where does Byleth like what's his level at when he starts playing? Like do they just give him a default level? Like how does that mechanic work? So Byleth is the main player character. That's what Steven's talking about. You can be a boy Byleth or a girl Byleth. Um, for the DLC, it's actually its own save file. It's its own thing. Like it's not attached to your save file in any way. You actually like use the trigger. And you move over from like story saves to side mission state saves. Like it's a whole new column of save files. And you start off, I think, at level 20 and you progress from level 20 to whatever. And it's, it's a one shot. So it's, it's completely standalone DLC story with nothing from your actual game brought into it and nothing from it moves into your actual game. What it does once you beat it is unlock the ability to now, when you go back and load your regular save, the game knows you beat it. And so now it unlocks the existence of this house in your save and you're able to progress from wherever you're at currently and go recruit this house if you want to. Okay. So then, then also, so when you start it, is it just Byleth there or are there other students from up above? The other there are a couple houses? students. Yeah, there's some okay. students, but you're not choosing. It's a, it's yeah. a mixture of students actually that are with you okay. from a couple different houses, but it's, they have a story reason for who's there. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's not something you get to pick. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. I really like it. And I love Fire Emblem Three Houses. I stand it big time. It is one of my favorite games I've ever played. Yeah. And it's funny thinking about that because yeah, the day it came out, I was hyped. I had the collector's editions pre-ordered. I think I was tagging you in posts. I was tagging you in reviews. I was like, You've got to check this game out. It's my most anticipated of the year. I love these games, even though I've only, I think I've only ever beat one of them. But I was like, I was trying to hype you up for it. And you're like, I spent all day watching videos and reviews and yeah, it's not for me. I, I know. Just, I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, come I kept, on. I kept saying that over and over and over. And then now here I am. Look at me a year later. Well, not even a year. Well, you know what else is not for me, Steven, is the game that you're going to talk about. I am not a big multiplayer first person shooter guy so you just take this away because this is all you bud yeah so what aaron's talking about is i recently was playing overwatch started playing that again because they were doing a mardi gras event and so that was an event that took place between february 25th and march 9th so just finishing up and so i don't know what your what's your backstory with overwatch there aaron I think I played it once or twice during the beta when it first came out because it's Blizzard and Blizzard is awesome. And so I try everything that Blizzard makes, but that's as far as it went because it's a first person shooter that is multiplayer only. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I kind of initially started with it is, is I had a coworker who was like, Overwatch is coming out. It was the day it came out and he was like, it's out today. Let's play it. And I was like, fine, whatever. I'll buy it. So I bought it and played it a couple of times and I kind of just put it down like when it first came out and I just never played it. I fired up every once in a while. Like it's just kind of over. It's a type of game where it's just really overwhelming because it's, it's what six V six and you have like 40 different characters to choose from. And only one person can be 
that character for that round. And it's just overwhelming because there's three different types of heroes in the game. There's tanks, there's DPS, and then there's healers. And like, there's so many different combinations. Each one has different abilities. And it's just kind of overwhelming and trying to figure out who you want to be because they all play different. So I kind of dropped the game pretty quickly. But what kind of got me back into it was I started watching Overwatch League because it was the summer, there's no sports on, and ESPN was airing the games, airing the matches. So I just got addicted and started watching it. So that kind of threw me back into the world and wanted to play just to try to understand what was going on because I had no idea what was going on. So I've definitely started playing the game a lot more, and they keep adding characters to the game. And so there's one character they added who her name's Ash, and she's kind of got this shotgun mechanic. She's got a dynamite they can throw, and um, yeah, the uh, so she's got this, and she's got this character named Bob that um, it's her super. So when you throw Bob out, he kind of just levels people. But so I've gotten really felt like I was really good with her. I was getting uh, play of the games and stuff like that with her. So for the Mardi Gras event, there was a new skin for her specifically. So I was like, well, I got to get the new skin if it's for Ash since she's my, my currently my main. So when they do these events, um, it's kind of interesting because you just get the stuff by winning matches. So the way this one was broken down was is the Ash, there's player icons, which are kind of lame, but you win three games, you get an Ash and a Bob player icon. You win six games, you get this spray, which nobody ever uses except for pre-match before you get the match actually get started. And then if you win nine games, you get this epic Mardi Gras Ash skin. So I had two weeks to get the match, to get to get nine wins. So that was kind of the big thing for me. So I jump in and big thing with Overwatch is, is you have to have like a good team to actually get the wins. And so there's like one match, the guy's just shooting in the air for no reason. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get a win this game. But so, um, yeah, so I was just trying to get the nine wins, two weeks to do it. I started playing as a new character. I started playing as Lucio a lot more, who's kind of a healer and he can make your characters go faster, which I got two plays of the games with him, which... Talking to coworkers are like, yeah, Lucio shouldn't get plays of the games. And I watched the clips and it was like, they were lame clips. I don't know how I got play of the games because I didn't really damage anybody. It was just mainly just healing. Yeah, that's kind of what I was been doing, just trying to get this Overwatch and get this Ash skin for me. Did you actually end up getting it? Yes, I got it yesterday. So the day before it stopped. Oh, wow. Nothing like waiting until the last minute, huh? Yeah, I was too busy playing uh, Ori and all that kind of stuff. So, Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So is it a game that you generally are going to? Because there's games like this, right? These games as a service like Destiny and and even Borderlands now that are kind of like existing in this world where you get some initial gameplay, but like you come back for these events and they try to eat Rocket League does it too. You know, with the season pass, I play a lot of Rocket League. Is this something that you find to be a encouraging model to get you back into the game, or are you going to continue to play Overwatch like regardless of whether there's a special event? I only play it when there's a special event. Like, I guess that's the the carrot on the end of the stick. Like, mm-hmm. they put it out, and it's pretty outlined pretty easily. They have a thing on the on the menu that shows you need your nine wins. Here's your progress. Yep. Here's the three for the the different stages so it's really kind of easy it just kind of makes me know so now it's like oh i got i got the challenge done i'm going to take off the disc and put it away until the next summer event probably comes out yeah that makes sense i just looked it up i like the skin a lot that's for sure it's got that purple and green and gold uh mardi gras-esque color scheme for sure going on she looks pretty slick so i can see why you liked that one the funny thing is is i'm not going to use it because I don't know if you want to look it up, but I have, I think it's her Warlock skin. That's what I got for the Halloween event, I think it was. And that one I like a lot more, so that's kind of the one I'm going to go with. But because these are, you know, it's kind of those things you got to collect them all. But so it, because it's only available during this event, I was like, I got to get it just in case I decide I want to play with it. Yeah, I I've totally understand that. Like, I games are so addicting in that way, and so many of us fall into that 
mindset of like, oh, I just want to achieve this thing, but it's not even going to be something that changes the way I play the game going forward. But yet it's the only reason I'm playing the game. It's a really weird kind of cycle that we get stuck in with some of these games. But the the key is like, if you're having fun trying to get the thing right and trying to unlock the thing, then that's what matters. And if you are enjoying yourself playing some Overwatch, trying to get the skin and Overwatch is the perfect kind of game for you where you can pick it up, play it for a month, for two weeks, go at some matches, get yourself this cool skin, feel like you achieved something, and then you can put it down and move on. There's nothing wrong with that. And especially us as like story gamers who want to get through more games and not just be stuck playing one game over and over and over, then these are perfect little ways to get us to experience those games, like an Overwatch or just, I didn't even play Destiny the last season at all like literally logged into destiny 2 today for the first time and it is the last day of this particular season but i might play this next season then i might take off a season you know what i mean i like having the ability to jump in and not feel like i'm super behind as well and it seems like you can do that with overwatch you can just kind of go away for a month or two and then come back and it's basically still the same game yeah exactly and it's the type of game where yeah you level up the leveling up doesn't do anything. Like, the characters still play the same. You're not getting new guns. You're not getting new abilities, power-ups, anything like that. You're just, your character's just cookie-cutter. You got what he's got, and that's, all you get is a little icon underneath your name that says, Yeah. You leveled up. So, like, I leveled up, finally hit level 101. So now my level is reset to 1. But I have a star underneath my name saying that I've Ooh. hit level 100. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about the skill these days with games like that. It's about learning how to play the character and play them well and not have something that other people don't have. It's just you being better at being that character, which, and, or having better teammates as well. Like you said, it's a big part of it. So that's cool, man. That's good stuff. At this point, I guess we should move into our final section, which is one of my favorites. Well, what are we hyped about this week, Stephen? What do we want to drop in this very first inaugural section? I don't think we're always going to have multiple things. Maybe it'll just be one or two. It's really going to be dictated by the news of the week or bi-weekly if we're doing this every couple weeks and depend on what happened in the world of gaming and what came out, what didn't. So we luckily, because we're launching the podcast, have a little bit of time behind us and we can kind of throw some things together. But most of this stuff is pretty darn current. The first of which I'm going to ask for your thoughts on this. We got this announcement out of nowhere and you and I are like plugged into entertainment world news. So we have our pulse on this at all times, movies and TVs, video games. We know what's going on, but yet something stealth came out and surprised us. And that was Neil Druckmann, uh, the head of Naughty Dog Studios, the the man himself, who is the writer, creator of Uncharted and The Last of Us, announced that he is teaming with writer and director Craig Mazin, who was the showrunner and creator of the HBO series Chernobyl. And he will be doing, they together will be making a HBO series that will tell the adapted story of The Last of Us. How do you feel about that? Get hyped. That's all I have to say about that Hey, one. you said um, it. I yeah. said it just for you. Uh, yeah, I love The Last of Us game, and I'm planning on replaying it here before the sequel comes out, but uh, getting it in television form on a channel like HBO where you know they can get gritty, they're going to have the budget to make the, the clickers look good. It's just going to be, I think, something that's going to be highly entertaining on the HBO platform. Uh, and it's also one of those things where we kind of knew there was going to be a movie about it. They kind of announced, oh, we're going to get a Last of Us movie. But it's like, with that story, with the characters involved, you kind of need more than a two, two and a half hour platform. So putting it on HBO, where they're going to get ten episodes, probably more after season two, like, it's just going to give them time to develop these characters and get us emotionally attached, just like in the game itself. Totally agree with you. You know, I think The Witcher's success 
even though it's technically based on the Witcher books and not the Witcher game, but you know, for many of us, it's based on the Witcher game in our heads. I think that that contributed to them kind of realizing that this could definitely work. I'm so glad it's not going to be a movie. Um, people who know me and listen to my film podcast or know me online know how important Uncharted is to me. Probably my favorite story franchise of all time. And I have been just feel like I've been put through the ringer as a major fan for years with this movie that's just never going to happen. And I guess it kind of maybe actually really going to happen now, supposedly. But when I heard this news, the first thing I thought was, gosh, that would have been so much better as a series too, like Uncharted, right? Like I'm just imagining the adventures of young Indiana Jones and these different adventures week to week that Nathan Drake could go on. But I agree like stretching it out for emotional impact, that is going to be so much better because The Last of Us is played in sections. You know, you, you start off and you're, you're finding out what's going on. And there's like, I'm, I'm imagining this TV show where there's episode one and it's the apocalypse happening essentially and the chaos and the tragedy. And then you're in an episode where you're getting used to the new surroundings and what it's like to live in this quarantined world. And then you get out of there and you're on the path to this adventure and different things are happening. And I just, I can imagine how great the episodic structure is going to be for this. And I trust Neil Druckmann with anything. I mean, the, when you have a creator who is involved like this deeply in it, I think you have a winning combination. And if you've watched Chernobyl, it is also essentially like kind of a dystopian horror in so many ways. It fits the tone of what The Last of Us needs to be perfectly. So this pairing is amazing. Uh, Craig is actually active on Twitter as well. He's a big video game fan. He put out a list of his like top 20 or top 25 video games recently. It's fun to go check that out. Uh, look him up. Craig Mazin. It's M-A-Z-I-N. But Somebody had asked, uh, fans who were asking him, they were like, hey, are you going to keep Ellie gay? Because that's a big thing that happens. A lot of times when you do adaptations, characters will have their genders swapped these days or they'll have their sexualities changed. And he said, you have my word. So anyone out there listening who was consider or worried that Ellie might not be gay, she will be gay in the show, according to the creator. And it is going to adapt to the events of the first game. So we don't know yet if it's going to include anything from the second game, which isn't out until May, but I guess we'll find out later. Once it releases, there's no release date for this. I mean, who knows? What are we talking about? Probably like two years off, I'd assume. Something like that. Yeah, because I'm, yeah, who knows how long they are with like casting and all that kind of stuff. Like, who would, who would be your dream cast for this? Ooh, good question. I, I'm in the camp of Nicholas, I don't know how to say his name. Nikolai Coster Waldo. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Sir Jamie Lannister, people. I'm in his camp along with, I think I would want, um, Caitlin Deaver would be my Ellie, I think. What do you, what do you go with? I, th- I mean, I saw that one floating around. Another one everyone keeps throwing on is Hugh Jackman. I think he's too. Nope big and well-known for that yep. at this point i kind of want them to go the kind of the game of thrones season one when that came out like yep it was just sean bean and lena hetty were kind of the only people that anybody really knew everybody else was kind of unknown so it'd kind of be nice if they went kind of more the unknown route because i don't want to have the actor getting in the way of my connection between these characters so i don't want that kind of back history of the character actors messing with me so i kind of want new kind of unknowns so i don't really kind of want them to surprise me with some unknown actors i would agree with you 100 percent, and it's going to be different too than adapting like a book or something look you spend so much time with a character in a visual medium like a video game so joel for many of us we've spent 30 60 90 hours with him and ellie right those two characters getting to know them it's going to be hard to step into those roles and sell it. And you're right. I think the more celebrity that those actors bring with them, the more difficult it will be to accept it. So I'd be completely fine if we don't go like an A-list type casting. But if we did, 
those would be my two picks. Well, the uh, and one of the other things we wanted to talk about was I want to talk about. <laughs> I don't even know if you're hyped for this game or not, but uh, Ghost of Tsushima is this game that's coming out, as we now know, uh, on June 26, 2020. It is a PlayStation exclusive. It's one that has been kind of circling the news cycle for several years now. Uh, the first trailer dropped at the Game Awards 2019, and it looked incredible. It was just gorgeous had some gameplay, but wasn't really telling us a lot about what the game was going to be about. But the story trailer kind of sets the tone. You've got an older samurai and his son, who is clearly coming up uh, under his dad and being taught the same way. There is some sort of epic battle that is going to take place on a large, large scale. It seems like there's some intrigue and mystery around whether or not the sun is an actual ghost as in the title or is he a ghost just in terms of people thought he was dead but he didn't actually die and so now he's coming back for vengeance we really don't know the answer to that so that's something that we learned will be intriguing and we'll get to find out in the story it looks like it's going to be pretty emotional definitely looks like a story of revenge um, and a man trying to come back and potentially finish what his father may have started and look out for his people. Um, but it's going to be this stealth based action game and it looks super slick. And of course, as a samurai, I would imagine it's going to be you know, somewhere in the realm of Assassin's Creed meets whatever the one from, from software was last year that uh, Sekiro, uh, something like Assassin's Creed plus Sekiro, but with incredibly high, just gorgeous, sweeping beautiful um high-res visual uh, cinematography to it and I, I just think it looks incredible i'm not yet sure how much the combat will be my thing or not my thing i guess that will ultimately probably be the deciding factor on how i like the game how much i like the game but i'm really excited for it and i'm definitely gonna play it yeah the combat's kind of where i'm I'm not sure where I stand yet because yeah, I, I don't know if I ever watched that first trailer from 2019, but so I don't even know what the combat's going to be like. I mean, it's coming from Sucker Bunch, a studio over in Seattle. The last couple games they've made are infamous, and so it doesn't look like an infamous game. So I'm kind of interested to see can they take what they've learned from those games and apply it to a new genre. It's kind of like what the studio did from... Uh, Studio behind uh, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Their previous games were all first-person shooters, yet they were able to take what they had learned and made this completely different game, which was still really entertaining and a lot of people loved and looked amazing and the combat was great. So it's interesting to see if Sucker Punch can kind of do that with this game. Well, it certainly looks gorgeous. So I think that at the very least, it will be one of the games that is like contending for best art design and such at the end of the year. And we're getting into this cycle now with The Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima, where these games are going to come out on the PS4 and will probably also be like system selling for the PS5 in the holiday season as well for those that haven't played them or maybe to get people to play them again with even higher resolutions and PlayStation's coming out strong, man. Is all I got to say, because there is a sequence of games here in the next three or four months that I am like, this is why I have my PlayStation four because it's final fantasy seven remake. And then a month later, month and a half later, it's the last of us two. There's probably hopefully just enough time in between there for me to replay the last of us as well. And then it's ghost of Tsushima about a month after that. And I'm, I'm just super excited as a, gamer who who loves those properties that I think it's going to be an awesome run. Did you have any other news that you wanted to talk about? Uh, one thing that I guess kind of got me, was got me really excited is season three of Castlevania. So oh. I don't know if you've watched seasons one or two of Castlevania on Netflix. I have watched season one when it first came out and I thought it was incredible. And then I'm terrible at watching TV. And I never watched season two, but I've heard lots of good things about season three. Yeah, so that's what I've heard too. Is yeah, season three is amazing. But season one, four episodes, half hour each. It's just like watching a movie, so it's easy to get through. And then season two, they upped the ante to eight episodes. 
still an hour long. What I kind of like about this series is it's gorgeous animation. It doesn't hold back. It's violent. It's got great, great voice acting. The story is amazing. Um, and being, you know, a Metroidvania fan, I've always kind of enjoyed Castlevania games. I haven't really, I don't think I've ever beat one, but I played quite a few on the 3DS. Didn't play any of the old ones back in the day, but I've tried to dabbled lately in the Castlevania collection. So yeah, it's just a series that the characters are interesting. I like Dracula. It's got great animation, violent, doesn't hold back. And I think that's something great that Netflix can do. And so seeing that they've upped it to 10 episodes for season three, I think it's sitting at a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like Ooh. it's just something that I'm just really super excited for. Well, when you do get around to watching it, you'll have to let us know what you thought of it. And I'm also going to put that challenge out to you right now that if you claim Metroidvania as one of your favorite genres of games and the word vania literally comes from Castlevania, I think that you need to go and complete yourself a Castlevania game. And I'm going to say probably Symphony of Night, uh, maybe is one that you need to make sure you play for sure. It's one I just downloaded on my Xbox just last week, but then I started playing Bloodstained instead. Oh, so you went with the more modern remake of the Castlevania yeah, world. Well, exactly. well, one day this year, we're going to have to throw that uh, Castlevania review in our backlog section of one of these podcasts. I'll look forward to hearing what you thought about it. Yeah, that should hopefully come this year. Well, that'll do it for us. And episode one, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you had a good time. We hope that you uh, enjoyed this and are excited to get to the next episode, just like we were. We would love to interact with you on social media. Both of us love to chat. So, Stephen, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen M. Keller, and that's Stephen with a V. And you can find me on Instagram at Hipster Pop Geek, where I will post pictures of movies, video games. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. So where can we find you, Aaron? You can find me on Twitter at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, same thing on Facebook and pretty much everywhere, uh, all gaming systems as well. Feel free to add me there, but I'm not a super great multiplayer gamer, so don't expect that. But you can watch and see what I'm playing at any time if you want. Uh, you can also follow the show at Gotta Be Gaming on Twitter and Gotta Be Gaming on Facebook as well. And we would just love to hear from you. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. We also would love to have you review the show. So if you have a second and can drop a five-star review and a few words on Apple Podcasts Review, that would be amazing. It would help us grow and reach more listeners, and we would be ever so grateful. Until next week, just remember that it doesn't matter whether it's something old or new, you got to be gaming.